welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequatin territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatin Ulu. And today's text, A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Namey, is set mostly in the UK. But the parts set in the US take place in Miami, the traditional home of the Seminole, Taino, Tequesta, Mikosuke, and Mascogo peoples. And Joe, mm-hmm. place matters so much in this book. <laughs> Just a tiny little bit. Just, Just a, a tiny little bit. <laughs> So we're back with the new season of Book Club, and these are, you know, stories <laughs> broadly conceived about people who don't look and live like us, Joe. We're trying right. to really uh, expand the kind of diverse content on the show. Um, and I feel like we're kind of baby stepsing into it with this particular story because sure. it is such a, in many ways, traditional YA romance. Absolutely. Although you and I were discussing before we hit record that this feels it's very much a romance, like at its base. It's very much, you know, oh, this girl, Lila, falls in love with this boy, Orion, and they have smoochy romantic time together. But it feels so much more patient than what we're Mm -hmm. used to seeing, right? It's not, oh, they're going out on dates and macking and talking about maybe having sex by page 100. This is so deliberately paced. It almost feels like the romance is not as important or I don't want to say immaterial because it clearly is by the end of the book but yeah it's really much more about Lila and just her realizing who she is and what she wants yeah and the relationship that is most significant is not actually the romance between her and Orion the love interest although it is lovely Mm -hmm. um but it's it's the friendship that they build first right so I'm going to do a little overview of the plot and then we can kind of contextualize some of this but The premise of A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow is that we have our protagonist, Lila, who has just experienced what she calls the trifecta. (laughs) Yep. And the trifecta is three tragedies that have occurred in her life. The first is that her grandmother has passed away, and she's extremely close to her grandmother. I think at one point in the text, she uses the phrase, my parents raised me, but my grandmother grew me. Right. And she's really close to her grandmother because they have this family business that's this bakery, and the grandma was the baker, and those sort of baking genes have kind of skipped a generation, and Mm -hmm. it's Lila who is intending to take over the baking component of the business while her sister is going to be like the business side of the business. And so Mm -hmm. the death of her abuela is like... It's crushing to her. It's massive. It's everything. Like, abuela was the most important person in her life. And the only two people who really understand her grief and who really hold her up through that time are her boyfriend, Andreas, and her best friend, Stephanie. And over the course of a few months following the death of her abuela, Andreas breaks up with her and Stephanie tells her that their plans to have their young adulthood and their university years in Miami together are over because she's heading off on this great adventure to work for a nonprofit in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hits Lila really hard, I think, because we don't know it initially, but she is actually very controlling. Like, she doesn't Mm -hmm. mean to be. It's not a nefarious thing. It's more that 
she makes plans because mm-hmm. she's so hyper organized that when people try to deviate or even do something that is in their own best interest, she doesn't always understand it. Yeah, she really has this um, laser vision on taking over the bakery, expanding the business, and the people in her life who are going to support that dream. And she's not really very good Mm-mm. at seeing other people as random human <laughs> beings with goals of their own. No. And I found this a very interesting part of the book, Joe, because I would never for a second call Lila an unlikable narrator. No, and she's not selfish either. And she's not selfish. She's incredibly giving, but she has this significant character flaw. And the book is really interested in exploring that flaw, like how that is really the cause of a lot of the disappointment and heartache in her life. Mm -hmm. And so flip to the fact that her parents, she has a big kind of crisis breakdown yeah. Where she runs like more than 20 miles. She doesn't tell anybody where she is. She doesn't take her phone with her. Um, and she kind of basically like runs until she collapses through the streets of Miami. And her family is super freaked out that she's going to really hurt herself or worse. So Yeah. It's a cry for help. Yeah. And so they have this cousin, Kate, who is also like part of sort of the family and the the connection to home. But Kate lives in England now with her husband, Spencer, and their son, Gordon, and they run this inn. And so the family buys a one-way ticket and puts (laughs) Lila on a plane for the UK. And Lila is livid pissed. She is not happy about it. It's only three months. Like, she knows when she'll come back. But at the same time, she feels like her family is basically throwing their hands in the air and saying, we don't know what to do with you, so you need to go away for a while without acknowledging that she needs to go away for a while. Yeah. And it's this whole thing, right? Where, as we've said, Lila is a planner and she's somebody who likes to be in control of the narrative. And all of a sudden she is not in control of anything. She's (laughs) just on this plane to England. So when she arrives at the inn, she discovers that she doesn't have to have everything be completely new. She can continue her love of baking by taking over the role of the inn's baker over the course of the narrative. And then Joe. Mm-hmm. There's a boy. There's always a boy. Of course, there's a boy. <laughs> I love this boy. I'm very oh, excited. This is to a manic pixie dream boy, if there ever was one. <laughs> he is perfect in every single way. He is, and I don't even care. <laughs> no, and, and that's honestly one of the things that makes the book so lovely. Like we're we're doing this plot recap, and honestly, folks, you know exactly where this is yeah. going to go at every stage <laughs> of the book. And that is not a problem because it is so comfy and warm and very hungry. Do not eat. Do not eat this book. Do not read this book if you have an empty stomach because the descriptions are so. mm, I'm literally going for Cuban food tomorrow, Brenna, because of this book. I love that so much. I was finishing it last night and I was like, we have these like fancy bakery cookies left Mm -hmm. over from kiddo's birthday party. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a cup of tea and one of those beautiful fancy cookies Mm -hmm. up to bed. I'm going to read this book. And this is a book. I mean, I stayed up way too late finishing it last night. Right. But I did not have to force myself. Like, uh, it was really easy to get caught up in this world and to hang out with these characters. Anyway, let me tell you about Orion because okay. I love him. <laughs> so um, Orion, he's the son of the tea merchant in town. I mean, come on. So British. 
So he meets Lila because he delivers tea to the inn. Um, and he's always been really forward with the staff and like kind of part of the family there. And so he sort of absorbs Lila into his world and his friends at first mm-hmm. because he told Kate he would kind of keep an eye on her. Right. And then because he he's clearly in love with her. Right. <laughs> and they have all these cute little like YA romance tropes, right? Like there's this through line where he's trying to find her her tea because she's never really drunk tea before. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to like teach her about tea, but not in like a mansplainy way, just in like trying to find what works for her. And of course, he has a tragic backstory. His mother's been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of dementia and mm-hmm. she no longer remembers who he is. He has this sister who's acting out, who, of course, only Lila can help bring back into the family fold. Mm-hmm. And she's actually not even that bad. Like, she's no. acting out, but it's mostly just because she feels like her grief about the mother is going unseen and she feels unmoored. Like, these characters, they're all so <laughs> just genuine and lovable. Like, yes. the thing I think I ended up enjoying so, so much about the book is that I kept waiting for the horrible rom-com third act twist where there's a yes. misunderstanding yes. and we have to break apart. And it basically doesn't happen in this. It's like, oh, we're out of time. That's the problem. And it's, oh God, Brenda, it was just so refreshing because I hate that convention so, what? so much. And here you're just like, no, everyone understands the deal. That's the that's the misunderstanding is we're all like, oh, it's so sad. She sets you up for it, though, right? Because there are two, like, quote-unquote big lies that Mm -hmm. Lila is freaking out because she's holding back on Orion just as they're starting to get really close. And one is that Andreas has been calling again. Well, she spills the beans on that, like, 20 seconds later. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't hold back because she – the first time he calls, she's just like, oh, I didn't rush to tell you this stuff. And I think that means I don't care about you as much as I thought I once did. And the person who she wants to share the news about the bakery going on TV is not Andreas, it's mm-hmm. Orion. And so that's the first that you maybe have like 10 pages of tummy ache before that one resolves. Right. And then the other one is that there's somebody who has been graffitiing the town. Right. And it's costing a lot of money to the local businesses to keep on top of it. And it turns out Lila discovers that it's actually – it's Orion's little sister who's doing it. And she keeps that secret. And – there's this scene where they have the reveal of the secret mm-hmm. and you think that they're, you're going to have to go through like a whole like three chapter breakup where they're not going to speak to each other. But yep. it's not that at all. Orion nope. is angry. And then he's like, I actually really understand what you were trying to do for my sister. You're a good person. <laughs> and she's yep. like, I'm sorry I kept it to myself, but I really love her and I want the best for her. And then and then they're in love again. And it's just mm-hmm. great. <laughs> yeah, and and when Lila finds out that Flora, that's the younger sister, has been doing this, she basically blackmails her, yeah. sort of, into coming to work with her in the inn's kitchen. Yeah. And you, you keep thinking, oh, it's going to be drama, it's going to be all this stuff. Yeah, we're going to tease out this secret for as long as possible. And it's like, Flora tries to sabotage the first day, but it's mostly just because she doesn't want to be there and she thinks if she messes up that she'll be released and instead of course lila immediately knows what she's up to she uses like the inn's reputation and her reputation as a baker against uh flora and flora is so embarrassed for her and is just like i'll never do it again (laughs) you're like okay conflict resolved again got it it's so good it's so good i just yeah yeah I really enjoy the fact that this book 
is very happy for you to be in love with these characters and doesn't need like a whole sort of subterfuge or like reason to be angry with them. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the larger theme of what Lila is learning over the course of the book is like people survive great tragedies and people survive great disappointments and people grow. Like that's Mm -hmm. the whole lesson that she's learning from Orion and from all of his friends, really. Yeah. That she has been through hell and also there is another side. And so the book really leans into that. Like These are all good people. They occasionally do annoying or frustrating things, but they're all really good people. And it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it sound like there's no conflict or there's no reason to keep turning the pages, but you're right. The frame <laughs> of the time and like, how are they going to use up this limited amount of time they have together is enough. Like it's enough yeah. to carry you through. Yeah, the ticking clock of Lila realizing she's actually really enjoying Winchester and that, yeah, she is slowly falling in love with Orion and she really loves all of these people and she's finding herself and what is helping her to get over her tragedies Mm -hmm. is basically what the book is most interested in. But it always has enough of a conflict that you realize, okay, It's just about how is she going to reconcile that she's running out of time with all these people she now loves. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. You know, we did get uh, one person wrote in about the book. It was Tea Books and Chocolate, which I feel like Tea Books and Chocolate, like your name and the name of this book. I'm glad you liked it because they go really well together. Mm -hmm. But one of the (laughs) things that Tea Books and Chocolate said is that there's sweetness and there's romance, but like... There's something more to the romance. Like, Lila is a full character in and of herself. Mm-hmm. And T-Books and Chocolate writes, this is the kind of YA romance that I wish I had growing up. I think the focus on growing into your best self and finding love along the way resonates differently from the love is the most important thing that was the message in so many books I read growing up. I enjoyed having Spanish worked in without translations. Oh, my God, I love that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made Lila feel more real. She felt like a Cuban character. And we talked a bit about, like culture washing that happens in a lot of YA books. And and I do think like, this is a book about a Cuban American girl, mm-hmm. like very intentionally, aggressively, like, you can't remove that piece of the storytelling. And again, that means that, you know, it's so much more about Lila as a person than right. it is about any one romance in her life. Yeah, I feel as though we've had a number of conversations, particularly in the last like six to eight months about how sometimes we find first person narration in some of these books to be a little not overwhelming, but just we wish that we had the opportunity to spend time in other characters heads because it can feel a little limiting. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're actually seeing with this book is that when it's done really well it doesn't have to be an issue at all like the voice of this book is so fully realized it's so fleshed out like lila is such a fantastic character but she's not boring she's not simple and i do think that part of the reason she stands out and the book as a result becomes so worthwhile is because this character really does feel distinct. Like the other thing that Tea Books and Chocolate says is when I was growing up, it felt like all the books in the genre were about skinny, white, blonde mm. girls. They were all Christian and rich and lived in the Northeast US <laughs> or California. So Lila's connection with Cuban culture, Miami, and her family felt so different. That's, I think, the thing that you don't even realize is happening when you're reading the book as you're just like page turning because you're so invested in everything. But yeah, I mean, it's not just the culture that jumps off the page and feels distinct. It's that we're so used to boring white girls. (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we are. We're so used to a particular socioeconomic class. Like, this family is comfortable, but they mm -hmm. work really hard. Like, we've talked before about how a big distinction in, like, books that are really addressing class is that people who are working class work. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. yeah. They work. And everybody in this text works, has yes. jobs. Everyone has a job. Everyone sometimes even has a side hustle. Like the reason that they have gotten to where they are is because they have worked their butts off. Yeah. And this sense of like duty and responsibility and family relations and like the duty you have to yourself to do a good job in like these contexts. Like, we don't see that very often from so many different perspectives within the book. Like even, you know, you might think like Orion is like this sort of easy, bland and blonde kind of white guy character. And I think mm -hmm. he could be if he didn't have A, obviously the tragic backstory, very important, but B, right. this commitment to his family's business, right? And mm -hmm. like the boy sells tea and he's always at work. And like Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic because it also means that None of the characters are just hovering around waiting for anyone else, right? Like, there's lots of times when it's like, oh, yeah, we all got together except for this character because he's washing dishes at his job at the pub. Mm -hmm. And it's just <laughs> a really interesting dynamic that I think adds a lot of layers to who these characters are. Um, and it feels a lot less bland because, I don't know, everybody's got stuff going on. It's it's weirdly refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, even the things that are so obvious, like, where you know exactly what's going to happen, like, this book offers very few surprises yeah. in that way. There's a moment where Lila goes to visit Orion's tea shop, which he, he sort of co-runs with his father, and she notices, you know, oh, you've got a kitchen back there that you're not really using, like, you should really think about getting some food in here, and it'll increase your business. And there's a scene where she presents that to his father and everyone acknowledges that it's a good idea it's just that it can't happen right now and lila is kind of like hmm okay but she doesn't get mad she doesn't hold it against orion's dad and by the end of the book it's inferred that they have figured out how they're going to make it work and they're going to start taking steps in that direction so it's like oh okay lila had a good idea everyone acknowledged that the timing just wasn't right but it happens that way in the end of the book yeah. and like that's so much of what the book is like. It gets to where you think it's going by the end. It just has, I don't know, something more relatable, something more fresh, something more realistic, strangely enough, that makes this just feel very vibrant and different from a lot of the other books we've read. Jill, mm -hmm. can I share some important breaking news in response to Tea Books and Chocolate's response? Yes, you may. Okay, so Tea Books and Chocolate, her final thoughts. Overall, this book was delightful and I am so glad I read it. Shout out to the beautiful friendships between women. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that, but like... Oh, yeah, it's all dominated by women. No one's in competition with each other. There's mm -mm. a brief reference to this girl who Andreas is seeing now, but like that is so minor compared to the depth of the friendships between the women. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it. Anyway, um, that and the sisterhood, the best parts for me, hands down, I'd read an entire spinoff universe just about Pilar, Lila, and Flora. I want a sequel that is Flora-centric. Guess oh. what, Joe? Well, you've mentioned, because you had yeah. talked about this book earlier, yeah. and I knew there was a sequel coming. Yeah. Is it not about Lila? No. No. Oh. It's about Flora. It's about Flora. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so the sequel is called A British Girl's Guide to Hurricanes and Heartbreak. <laughs> oh, she's going to be in Miami. Shall I read you the synopsis? Yeah, please do. 
Winchester has always been home for Flora, but when her mother dies, Flora feels untethered. Her family expects her to apply for university and take a larger role in their tea shop business, but Flora isn't so sure. More than ever, she's the chaotic hurricane in her household, and she doesn't always know how to manage her stormy emotions. So she decides to escape to Miami without telling anyone, especially her longtime friend Gordon Wallace. But Mm. Flora's tropical change of scenery doesn't cast away her self-doubt. When it comes to university, she has no idea what passion she should follow, and that's also true in romance. Flora's summer abroad Lancer in a flashbulb world of teen influencer Baz Marin, a Miami oh. Cuban who shares his love for photography. But Flora is more conflicted than ever when she begins to see future architect Gordon in a new light. Oh, of course she does. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm just going to read the hell out of that book. That's really exciting because that also to me confirms that Laura Taylor Namey isn't content to just do. And I'm sorry, this is going to sound like I'm throwing Jenny Han under the bus, but <laughs> like we're not just doing three more stories of Lila and Orion because that yeah. would be the easiest way to do this, right? It's like, oh, oh it's let's follow up. Lila at her culinary school because, of course, she's going to go to the Cordon Bleu for pastries and all this stuff. It would have been so easy to just say that's what the sequel is and we introduce yeah. some new conflict into their relationship. How much more exciting to recognize you did such a good job with supporting characters in the first book that they deserve their own sequel. Right? Exactly. And like, what? I'm just, I just think it's lovely because (laughs) it's almost like a handing off of the baton. Like, it would be really easy to, yeah, as you say, it'd be really easy, but not just to do like more um, Lila books, but also to kind of you know, do that thing where you transition into new adult. So, mm-hmm. that, you know, mostly so that we can get a sex scene for Lila, for sure. example. Right. That would be the typical trajectory. So, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, Brett, of course, the other exciting thing about this is that we tease there is a movie in production on this. So it stars Maya Rufico from Pretty Little Liars Original Sin, who... I did not like that show, but I did like her, as well as Kit Connor from Heartstopper. <laughs> you told me that right before we started recording, and I was like, Joe, we should have saved this for air because I literally shrieked, but then when you said it again, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, and this is also going to be directed by a woman who's making a jump from documentaries, so Catherine Fairfax Wright is going to be doing the film from a screenplay by Kayla Amazan. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think we'll actually get the film before the end of the year because they had started filming this uh, like last summer. So I imagine we'll get this sometime this summer or maybe early fall. We will do a mini-sode, right? Yes, yes, for sure. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, I assigned this on Book Club, and then Joe was like, uh, there's a movie. And I was like, yeah, but now I'm excited to read it. I can't wait until the movie comes out. <laughs> yeah, folks, you'll probably see that we're going to do some uh, some mini-sode episodes on films that are being made of books we've already read, because we also have an Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret movie coming out very soon. Oh my god, I can't wait. I can't wait for that one, too. Mm-hmm. Joey, do you want to raise one significant piece of criticism that I have seen of the book that I think we should talk a little bit about so okay. that it's not just a praise fest, although mm-hmm. I did love this book. I right. genuinely did love this book. But a lot of particularly black critics have pointed out that the way Africa is used in the book is like not super great, which is to say Stephanie, um, who is... Lila's friend who Mm -hmm. decides she has to make like this big escape from the world. She's 
like with absolutely no kind of context and tea books and chocolate points this out like this is the part of the trifecta of tragedies that is the least fleshed out to me like yeah like you forget stephanie even exists for most part of the book and i understand being disappointed that your friend is taking a different path than the one that you had thought you were going to share together but also yeah um but (laughs) it's not a real tragedy girl sorry (laughs) no exactly but um so I, I just I've read a bunch of critics who point out that there's a lot of talk of like, you know, Stephanie has gone to like some village in Africa and mm-hmm. they do mention Ghana at one point, but they also tend to fall back regularly into the trope of the like sort of Africa being like one kind of place. And, yeah. you know, there's phrases in the book where Lila says things like, I can be Cuban in Miami, Africa, or London. And it's like, well, two of those are cities. Mm-hmm. One, One of those, those is like a, a country. <laughs> yeah, a continent, Joe, a continent. Yeah, it's tricky. Like, I don't think it takes away from the delight or charm of the book as a whole. I think it's just a reminder to us all mm-hmm. that it's, you know, when we we got to write beyond our own perspective sometimes. Um, and so, you know, the idea that like, I think it is really primarily Lila's ignorance that propels the way she talks about Africa, right? Like mm. when she first thinks about Stephanie going, she's like, that girl can't go two weeks without a hairdryer. And now she's in Africa as if like. Yeah. As if there's no more modern <laughs> utilities or appliances or yeah. any kind of. It's not like, oh, this is an antiquated old fashioned country with no power. It's just like, like Lila. I think the other reason that tea books and chocolate really brings this home for me is because so much of the book like you said it off the top Brenna, is about mm-hmm. being grounded in a place like how yeah. much does winchester mean to her how much does miami mean so to then say like oh africa you're yeah. just like okay why couldn't we have taken the same care and i think it's actually okay if you know Lila, with her fairly limited perspective on the world, needs to learn that lesson. But Mm -hmm. the problem is that it just never gets unpacked. Like, it would be cool if Stephanie, when they do have those conversations, could offer something more than sort of a very stereotypical vision of what relief work in Africa must look like. But I think just Mm -hmm. ultimately, there's not enough care taken with that part of the plot. I also, Joe, I have to share one mistake I noticed in the book. Okay. Okay. So when they go to the pub- No, no, the tea stuff is all on point. But when they go to the pub, she orders a traditional British shepherd's pie. Okay. Yeah. And then she goes on to explain how it's made with ground beef. I was going to say, I don't think that's correct, is it? No, it's not. That's cottage pie. It's cottage pie if it's made with ground beef, Joe. (laughs) So what should she have had? Black pudding? (laughs) No, she should have had the shepherd's pie, but it would have been lamb. 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 Hence, shepherd. Why would a shepherd be making a beef pie? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sorry, this is, as listeners probably know by now, my parents are English, and this is an ongoing thing when my mom sees a shepherd's pie on a menu. She's mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think overall, this is just a place where Naomi could have taken more care here. And I hope right. that in future books, when she makes reference to places outside of her own experience, she takes the same kind of care that she takes with the landscapes of her heart. Hmm. I think actually the sequel will fare better in that because it'll be situated in Miami, which is clearly a place that she knows very well. Yeah, agreed. Totally. Uh, do you want to play some YA bingo? I do. I really do. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. What have you got? Okay. Okay. 
Okay, I'm so excited. Um, so we have I'm I'm house porn for the inn. Oh, interesting. Okay. I love the way it sounds so much, and I je- I cannot wait to see it translated to film. But particularly mm-hmm. this idea of like sort of this magical secret loft where the family lives and this right. like ornate inn down below, and the furniture when they describe like the furniture in the guest room and it's all like an antique four poster bed and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. <laughs> Obviously, there's a million perfect dates in the book. Yes. But the one I am thinking about in particular is uh, when they go when they take that hike up to the top of that hill. Right. Um, that is my that is my favorite of all the perfect dates. Although there are obviously many. Yeah, they do also recreate a fake prom for Lila oh, yeah. because she never got it. So we can cross off that tab. But that also sounds like a pretty perfect date. Oh my god! Just everything about that scene, and I just there's so. Sorry, just to go back into our analysis of the book for a second. Like, Lila keeps everything obsessively to herself, right? Because mm-hmm. she does not want to hurt her family by letting them think that she liked being in England and would like to go back. Right. And when the family sees the photos from the prom night mm-hmm. and they realize, like, Orion isn't just some boy. Like, he means everything to her. Right. Just, I was bawling. I was in bed. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. I was just bawling. <laughs> Oh, yeah. This book is good for some cathartic tears. Yeah, good happy tears, though. Good happy tears. Mm-hmm. So we obviously are living on borrowed time mm-hmm. because we are counting down the days until the three months are up in good and bad ways throughout the book. And I would say the whole premise is built around a road trip. Mm-hmm. It is. And also we have a very physical road trip when they go to London. Mm-hmm. For, the day. for sure. Um, good friendships, not just between Orion and Lila, although that is a really wonderful friendship first, but mm-hmm. um, the friendships between the women in the book are particularly moving and I think particularly well done. Mm-hmm. I, for one, am excited to see what they do with jewels in the film. <gasps> so that is Orion's friend who is an aspiring singer and like her songs are apparently magical and she's a super talented singer. And I think it's going to be exciting to see how that character worked into the film because uh there's a an interesting uh, component for musicality there it's true it'll be interesting to see who they cast and also let's just be ready to be disappointed with the quality of the songs oh for sure they're gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, 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 um I, I agree with you about manic pixie dream person mm-hmm. for orion and i don't care it's not okay. a criticism just to be clear <laughs> i adore him and i don't care um <laughs> I gotta say, hollow romance for this rival. Well, that, yes, Prince, first and (laughs) foremost, that, but also for this competing boy band Mm. that's trying to recruit Jules by going to Flora and trying to like worm their way into their lives. Oh, I feel so bad for Flora. She so doesn't realize that that's what's happening until it's quite far along, and that made me sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we have a dead body. Right. Yeah, Abuela hangs heavy over the entire narrative. She does also. And also, you know, we have the family loss that Orion's family is is coping with, which obviously in the sequel will will be fleshed out further. Mm -hmm. I think that's everything. Yeah. I mean, obviously also a female writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Female writer and female uh, director for when it goes and screenwriter for the adaptation when it comes. Yeah, but we we can't count that because we're not talking about the film. Uh, so that is actually a very healthy smattering, but we needed coincidental classes to get a line. And no one goes to school. This is all happening over summer vacation. Mm-hmm. I 
unequivocally recommend this book to folks. And I particularly think that this might be one you want to put on your hold list now because, I mean, oh man, if this this came up in your hold list in the summer, perfect. Just perfect. Yeah, it's a very summertimey book, even though the weather is obviously quite a bit chillier over in Britain. Oh, Joe, the other part where I cried? The glass of Coke with the lime slice in it for Orion. The end of the book. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> I liked it when he mailed her his uh, oh, grandmother's sweater back to Miami. Yeah. Oh, and then he he calls her Miami when they text. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just... <laughs> You're swooning. Stop it. <laughs> no, I won't. I refuse to stop it. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, Brenna, people have missed out because uh, we only heard from Tea Books and Chocolate. Although we did also hear from Miriam that the book was not easy to get in other parts of the world. So no. it's entirely possible that some folks wanted to read this and couldn't. But uh, maybe they'll fare better with our next couple of selections. So our next book club pick is Apple by Eric Gansworth. Really excited about this. Challenging Joe a little bit on form. A mm-hmm. memoir in verse. Not really something we've looked at since we did Brown Girl Dreaming, I guess. Right. Okay. Um, so it's mm-hmm. been a little while. So I'm excited to jump into that with you. And then if you're looking ahead or just managing your hold list effectively, uh, the next book is going to be We Are Totally Normal by Naomi Kanakia. Hi. And then we have like uh, non-book club books, I guess, Joe, and and text. What are we doing that's like not book clubby? (laughs) We are coming back to Canada and we're going to zero in on one of our favorite Indigenous authors. So, Brenna, uh, we were alerted by listener Alex Heaney, who has also guested on the show a couple of times, mostly around the Hunger Games episodes. But (laughs) uh, she let us know a while back that Monkey Beach had been turned into a film as well. So we're going to cover monkey beach the book and the movie yeah so the book's written by eden robinson who did the trickster series right and so we're very very excited to get back to that world so you've got your marching orders you know what you're reading if you want to get in touch with us about book club or maybe you have thoughts now about a cuban girl's guide to tea and tomorrow and you want to write in for the mailbag segment right 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 Right. anybody anybody crickets (laughs) You can find us at HKHS Potter on the hashtag HKHS Pod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And you can hit me up with your tea recommendations. I'm Ooh. at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. And uh, if you do want to write in something longer, especially if you want to be included in the mailbag, the best way to do it is by email. That's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's book club done and dusted, Brenna. Yep. And uh, yeah, we, I, I just, Joe, have I mentioned that I enjoyed this book? No, not once. <laughs> not even once. All right. Well, I won't mention it again, except to say <laughs> that I loved this book. Uh, <laughs> until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's very so, Brenna, the other exciting... Cozy. No, it's my turn. My turn. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that Tea Books and Chocolate says is that... Um... What am I doing? 